Fans and welcome to another edition of Let Me Tell You Something's Meltzer Five Star Project. We finally got past the fifth of January, as you've come to us in the middle of February. But we're still not done with the first week of January. We're on the seventh of January, but we're in a different promotion with some different wrestlers. By we, I mean your co-host Lorcan Mullen and your other co-host Simon Cross. Simon, what match are we covering for this episode? Uh, we are covering the main event of the AEW Dynamite episode that took place on the 7th of Jan. We're covering a match between Kenny Omega and Ray Phoenix. 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 I can't... The Mexican accent failed me there. I assume it's Phoenix because the Phoenix. They do say Phoenix, though. No, you hear it that way. I swear Excalibur says it that way. Ah, whatever. So these two have been having a few matches in the past few in AAAR, where Kenny Omega defeated Phoenix for the AAAR Mega Heavyweight Championship, which was the first, that was the power stone of Kenny Omega's belt collection. We've been discussing the potential avenues this storyline can go, and I was saying the problem with the AAAR thing uh, is that relations across different promotions are awkward in different ways because i think we've yet to see omega walk around with both belts unless he wore it at triple mania i can't recall he's not done it on AEW television he has worn it a couple of times and i think he's defended it once or twice there was one match i can't remember if it's this match or no it was the AEW tournament eliminator where he was trying to get into, uh, I think it was Fenix's head. Was it Phoenix's head as well? Oh, was it Penta? No, it was Penta's head because Phoenix got replaced. Uh, Phoenix got replaced. Uh, and he lifts his t-shirt to reveal the uh, Mega Championship. So that's the last time I saw it with him on AEW, I think. So obviously what we've been saying is that for the past, basically ever since Omega won the belt, thanks to interference from Don Callis, and he appeared the next night, or the next week on Impact Wrestling. Everyone in their mind has now this idea of Kenny Omega spending this year, and he's baited it. He's he's played with it with the public, with the with the perception of him going on a belt hunt. The assumption be because they automatically started putting him into a program with Rich Swan on that next episode of Impact, and he already had the Triple A R Championship, as we were saying. So, the question then becomes, are we about to see the wrestling equivalent of Thanos collecting the Infinity Stones? Is he going to go on a belt run? Because in everyone's mind, they're like, already has AAA. Now he's won the AEW World Championship, thanks to defeating John Moxley, and making John Moxley lose in 2020, which was something Kenny Omega never did, apparently. <laughs> never lost a singles match in 2020, then you're thinking the Impact belt is there if he wants it. If Don Callis is in charge of Impact Wrestling, look two ways, it's logical for him to be given that belt. And everyone's thinking, well, they've already got a relationship with the NWA with the women's title. If Billy Corgan wants some eyes on his product, having Kenny Omega as the champion. That'd be Nick Aldis, wouldn't it, who's still the holder? 
Yes, Nick Aldis currently is the champion. And he's worked with, and you know, obviously the NWA title match that Nick Aldis had with Cody Rhodes was one of the big matches of the first All-In event. <laughs> Where we had noted NWA champion Glacier in his entourage. So, and then obviously everyone's got the dream scenario that now it seems like it's becoming increasingly close to a reality. I'm still a little bit sceptical that what we th- want to happen is going to happen. I know we don't like to date what we do. But because things are so fast moving, I feel that we have to. We are recording this just a little bit after Kenta's appearance on Dynamite. So now the door is open for New Japan to get involved. That doesn't mean the door has been swung wide open like it's a barn (laughs) or anything like that. You think, so you're saying the door's ajar, whereas you think some people have gone too far going, oh, it's open. Well, the door's metaphorical, so it can't be ajar. But it's... it's um, I'm just saying... Because you were saying, like, oh, we could get Miro versus Ishii when we were texting about it. And I was like, maybe we could, but let's hold our horses here. Every single match in an interpromotional <laughs> feud... You are a, that, that's how I could tell you're a wrestling fan. I've been hurt before. <laughs> well, it's not that I've been hurt before, because I don't... Because it, it's very rare outside of Japan for you to see this happening anyway. There, there are so many layers of politics. Like we were saying, one of the problems that you'll have is like obviously everyone's dreaming of Kenny Omega walking into Dominion or Wrestle Kingdom with the AEW Championship round his waist, with the NWA title on one shoulder, the Impact title on another shoulder, and the AAAR belt as well, like maybe in his hands, going to face Kotobushi or Kazuchika Okada for the IWGP Heavyweight title, and maybe even the Intercontinental title as well. But the thing with that is you've got the politics of AAAR has a relationship with AEW, but New Japan has a relationship with CMLL. And AAAR and CMLL hate each other's fucking guts. So CMLL will not want to see the AAAR champion being treated as like this all-conquering mega-god of wrestling. So even then, if tri- when if Kenny Omega does make an end... AAAR's got... In in on the side, they've got other like fronts to fight on as well at the minute, so that that gets spicy. No, no pun intended there. Uh, but, so like all these different things, but like I said, we've got these dream scenarios in our head. But this is the starting point that we're at, and it was interesting rewatching this match, just trying to figure out still what is the champion Omega gonna be? Yes, and is he because he's not obviously. The Thanos thing. But if you were to have a wrestling Thanos, it has to be someone like a Brock Lesnar. Someone who is physically dominant. dominant. Yeah, that he just overshadows every opponent he has. Even when Brock Lesnar is against someone that's taller than him, his width always makes him seem like an equal. Even when he's up against the big show, it doesn't feel like it's... Uh... I, I don't want to sound like Vince here, but it's more than just his width. It's his legacy as well. No, but it, but I'm just talking about a physical mm. presence. Just beyond that... Just you look at someone in a ring as dominant champion. Now, Kenny can play that here against Ray Phoenix because he's visibly like four or five inches taller than him, a little bit bigger than him, a bit more muscular than him. So it's it, it, in this match, he's able to be the dominant champion or at least a physically uh, bullying dominant champion. But you put him in there against... Half the you put him in there against Nick Aldis if he's facing him for the NWA World Title. Well, he's not going to be his physical superior in any way, shape, or form. So then it has to be you present him in a different way. 
Maybe point your head smarter or like more technical. Yeah, maybe that's how you have to go with him for that. But with this match, it is a case of this is. I mean, again, to go to the Thanos thing, this is almost like when Thanos is fighting against Doctor Strange or Iron Man or someone in a one-on-one situation, and they're just trading huge bombs with each other. There is no, you know, our usual phrase, connective tissue. There is no linking. There is no transitions particularly mm. it's hits him with a big runner replies with another runner hits him with a drop kick hits him with a tope hits him with a power bomb hits him with a you know it's big move. and that is really omega working within phoenix's world the phoenix is like the high spots that's always been the lucha libre way really is to hit the high spots and he and omega can do that links somewhat into champion omega is I think it's not enough just to have the belts. I think his hubris as a character will make him want to beat people at their own game. Because obviously he beat Moxley with a foreign object shot. Maybe he will try to outmuscle Aldis. Maybe he will. Uh, because he seems to want to be the best at everything. The, the master of all trades. Yeah. And, and the master of all promotions as well. He believes he's the master of all trades now. Don's telling him he is. We have this growing egomania within him that we've already seen with the increasingly elaborate entrances and the, like I say, getting Justin Roberts to do this long, long spiel of things like, and making a point that he's from the wrestling capital of Winnipeg for the first time with Jericho on commentary, delighted at that. And I think that this match is like, it's a showcase. I guess, yeah, showcase, because this isn't some great psychology masterclass, which we know that Omega can do in the right environment, although his will always be a lot more high spot, mm. big move intense than a, than a Bret Hart or even a Hiroshi Tanahashi or even, uh, yeah, figures figures like that. And it's fun. It's it's a sprint pretty much the whole way. And I was actually noticing it the second time. I made a note at one point. So why is this suddenly going into a chop battle? And why is it all gone down that route? And I realized when I rewatched it that that was the commercial break period on the Fight TV app. Yeah. Where they did slow things down a little bit insofar as they weren't throwing everything at the crowd. And they must have been told, okay, we're in commercials. So they know to... That was what the chop battle could do. They could, yeah. That's 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 obviously been relayed via ref or timekeeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing I do love as well with Aubrey Edwards in this is that she does the great Tommy Young school of flinching at every chop and reacting, essentially selling it in the way that uh, the wrestlers are selling it too. She's the second best AEW ref at doing that. Bryce, Bryce is better at that. But Aubrey has the world's best ring the bell point. <laughs> that, that not AEW's best world's best one of the things I like about Phoenix and I think one of the things that makes him stand out as a lucha door is very visible in the sequence where he does the traditional lucha libre knuckle lock m- moment and, and starts running and Omega swats the hand away and Phoenix turns that into a triple jump drop kick where he's bouncing off a rope bouncing off another rope and, and hitting the drop kick because it brings it, the, the constant criticism of Lucha Libre is that it can look too choreographed and there's like set moves that everyone's doing into tilt to worlds and what have you. What Phoenix is able to do is show an improvisatory nature that he is fighting and, develop, and, and changing as the wind of the match blows one way or the other. Okay. He will hit it, he will do, and he's 
and he's innovating as he goes along, like when he turns that when he does that moonsault into a German suplex. It's like a, a counter. It's a counter to a counter. And I think that Phoenix is really good. And when he hits the tope, Con Hero, at a time when everyone was really, really arguing about the merits of dives and what have you, he was essentially doing a good one where it was like, he's so quick and he's so reactive in that moment that you can buy that Omega literally doesn't have time to yeah. do it. And he's not standing around awkwardly for ages waiting for a dive to come. It hits him when he doesn't expect it. And Phoenix is so fast and so quick and so able to convey that thought process that he's actually wrestling this match, not just wrestling the Lucha match. Yeah. This, uh, there's two things I want to pick you up on on that. One, Ray Phoenix launches himself like no one else in this world. He is like an absolute missile. And that's what makes the dive, in this argument about the dive, it can seem like, oh, I'm doing a dive that's designed to be catched. Um, caught, caught, sorry. <laughs> uh, I knew you'd do that. <clears throat> and You know what I mean though? Sometimes it looks like, oh, I'm going to fall into your arms. Ray Phoenix shoots himself like he's out of a effing cannon. Yeah, I, I'm launching myself yeah. at you. Do what you can. And and if, if it means him hitting the, the mm. widow of the former owner of a wrestling promotion... He'll do it. That's what's going to happen. And my second point about Ray Phoenix, I want to take you back a little bit to when AEW Dynamite first came on the air. I saw the Lucha Bros... And my favourite member of the Lucha Bros was Pentagon. I loved his character. I loved the weird creep. I've called him that before when we talked about uh, Lucha Bros matches. Pentagon as this weird, creepy little, like, man. He's like a Halloween character come to life. Yeah, I just loved looking at him. The aesthetic, his moves, that arm breaker. He was my hands-down favourite member of the Lucha Bros. I can't say that anymore. Ray's just meant... He's so fluid. His match with Nick Jackson, this match, I I do not know what that man is. He's not a human. He transcends humanity. I think he could be the best luchador or the most successful luchador outside of Mexico since Rey Mysterio. I think he has that potential within him. Has he ever locked up with Rey, do you know? I think they must have done during Rey's time away. When he was doing things like All In, they must have... I'd love to see that. They must have, if, if not wrestled each other, they must have teamed together. Yeah. But it's, uh, but that's the thing, though. We, we say that, but Ray against Phoenix isn't necessarily the dream match because it doesn't mean that those two stars will complement each other. Ray, they need an Omega, someone who's a few inches taller that can go their pace, like Ray Mysterio had with a Dean Malenko or an Eddie Guerrero, mm. or an Edge, or a Chris Benoit, or a Chris Jericho. Someone that offers a different lens, like technically. Yeah, just as Phoenix works so well against a Nick Jackson, or a Matt Jackson, or a Kenny Omega, or a Eddie Kingston, or someone like that, that gives an opposite, an opposite, you know, stars make matches, essentially. Yeah. And we'll talk a lot about that in the next five-star match that we've got to cover. And... What's great about Omega is that he is, like you say, that all-rounder that can engage with the Lucha Libre guy on his terms, but also because he's the almighty heavyweight champ, he can then change up when he has to. And he's also not above using Callus to distract him when he has to. And also being a dick in terms of mask ripping. Now, Fe yeah. uh, Phoenix has had his match mask ripped out a lot recently. 
most notably by his brother after Eddie Kingston got into their heads from a storyline point of view. But there's not really that personal level of beef between him and Kenny, which makes Kenny ripping at the mask a lot more despicable, really. Well, I think that's what... I think that's what the champion has to have. The champion has to have numerous people that are going after them. Mm. He has, and he has different relationships with them. He has a relationship now with Rich Swan that's different to the one that he's having with Phoenix and that he's having with John Moxley and that, you know, he theoretically could have again with Coach Rabushi or Kazuchika Okada, could have with Nick Aldis. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm not saying, obviously, obviously he's got the target on his back and he wants to prove a point, but his match against. Phoenix's match against Penta was like Eddie Kingston had poisoned their minds and they were Mm. like just all this like brotherly resentment was like coming out on each other. Yeah, I think Phoenix wrestles this match like it's the biggest match of his career. Mm. That he's throwing everything at Kenny and he's trying to be at his best and the notion is that you have to be at your best to even stand a chance of beating Kenny, which is similar to what Okada has in New Japan. Which is why, from a storyline point of view... Don's not negated by Pac and Penta because they covered that in the pre-match package. They were like, "Well, we're g- this is his time to shine. He's at, like, he's at, he wants to do it on his own. He wants to prove a point. We're yeah. respecting that." They want what works with something like this match is Phoenix is part of a large narrative, which will be that whenever whoever it is that dethrones Omega, it will be the biggest deal possible and it will be in front of a crowd and I think everyone in their heads at at my point right now wants that to be at least in the AEW perspective wants it to be Hangman Page and I think that's what they're leaning towards if it's a long-term story going up going over a year or so it's difficult because they don't know that they're in a holding pattern and they don't know the return date even with an injury you can kind of guess with this you don't know what's your dream scenario with Omega as the champion then what's your Fantasy, you can do everything, no one gets injured, there's no politics bullshit, everyone gets along. Okay. Idea of what Omega we, does over the course of this year or whatever. Hangman keeps getting courted by uh, people for a little bit, for by different factions. I don't know how many more you've got left, really. I mean, I did that whole Twitter thing of booking Hangman being uh, courted by the inner circle. Yeah. It could go down that path. Yeah, maybe. Like, even, like, I could see MJF uh, when the Sammy thing inevitably blows up, trying to rep- say, oh, look, we could get a better version. We can get Hangman. <laughs> we could get mm. in his head. Eventually, like, either he reluctantly joins with one or one beats him down savagely and the Dark Order make the save. And he's like, oh, actually, these guys, these guys aren't in it for themselves. They, they like me. They like who I am as a person. There are characteristics about me as a person that means I can have friends who just view me as friends. That mm. He's with the Dark Order for a little bit. Kenny's collecting belts. He's off collecting belts. He's off like swatting away people. You get to, I want to say, double or nothing 2022. 2022? Oh, you can do this for a year. Um, you've also got to, I know. I know we're doing an idealised situation, but... How, I mean, is he holding all the belts? Because then you've got to hold off on every other promotion not saying we want our belt back. Yeah. Because if you've got that through to 2022, that means Omega successfully, I'm guessing in your mind, he's either winning or successfully defending the heavyweight title at Wrestle Kingdom. Whereas I think with a, a New Japan, you'll be lucky to have it ideal scenario, him winning it at Dominion and losing it at Wrestle Kingdom. I feel like that's as long as New Japan will allow it to happen. Which was similarly what they did with Jericho and the Intercontinental title at... uh... I view Double or Nothing as their WrestleMania, so that's why I'm shooting for that. And I want to make sure there's a big enough crowd for it. 
those are my think two thinking points there. That match happens. Hangman kicks out the long-winged angel. Yes. That's one thing as well. What did you think of Phoenix sort of trying to put his arm up? It seems like, because with the Laredo kid, he did a very similar thing when he got the uh, second rope one-winged angel mm. at the uh, Triple Mania. He was, like, kicking out at three and a quarter. I think it's a good... So it's really, it's sort of like how the touring NWA world champion would always make the local challenger look as good as possible by either doing it being a 60-minute time limit or they barely get out with the with the championship intact. And... Or... I think that's a role Kenny's going to have to play very well if this, sto- if this multi-agency story is going to work. And I think it's a role that Kenny can do very well. You can get Callis to do an episode of NWA Power if he's not around to do the... Yeah. Defending the title at that point. There is some Bullet Club shenanigans. Uh, the Young Bucks are still part of the Bullet Club, but they're, they're feeling like they're like being dragged along a little bit, but they're like really hating it. Or you could have had them split up and like be written off for an FTR angle. Uh, and as the Bullet Club like come to try and like secure Kenny's win, the Dark Order come out and absolutely bum-rush them. And the crowd pop will just be immense. John Silver knocking out like Anderson. Yeah, Min. but I also would not have it be that Adam Page ever joins the Dark Order. Mm. Just that he's uh, what I think I'd lo- I've always loved is the idea of people being friends or allies without having to be in a faction. I always loved the relationship between Kurt Angle and Edge and Christian. Yeah. It was like when Edge and Christian were in a scrape, Kurt might be there to help them out. When Kurt was in a scrape, Edge and Christian might be there to help them out. But they might not interact with each other for four or five weeks of Raw. Yeah. Whereas with a faction, you've always got to have them be together and be involved. And that's the thing. When Hangman times. had his what he thought was his friends, he was part of a faction as well. And when it's like, I want to leave the faction, but I'm still your friend, that didn't wash. And that yeah. led to this whole situation he's in. That's why he should, you're right, he should never join the Dark Order. But the Dark Order will... He'll be there for the Dark Order. And the Dark Order will be there for him, as you say. Mm. Like Team Eck, as they like, yeah. uh, christened themselves. But yeah, if you, if he joins the Dark Order, that kind of ruins the structure a little bit of the story. Well, also, I think the logical thing as well is that maybe Hangman's getting all this momentum back. And he was able to... Turns down the Dark Order. He beats Matt Hardy and he fights past him and then you could have the inner circle storyline he gets past them and then he starts to get some wins together at that point Kenny Omega's like wait a minute what's going on and starts to feel threatened and at this point you've got this theoretical it seems like the bullet club is going to merge either merge or completely go into a battle with each other I think there's I think there's a bullet club civil minor civil war to happen first Maybe it'll start as a civil war and then suddenly they decide, why don't we just pull it all together and work work with each other? Because there's too many elements that can claim leadership right now. You could bring Marty Skrull back at this point, but it's a dodgy thing as well. I know. Yeah. So we want to I... talk about that. But my ideal scenario with that is that he collects all these belts, amasses all these belts, and then he puts the well my my okay i'll give my ridiculous insane scenario come on mate come on this this is fantasy booking give me your pitch literally i would have him win the iwgp heavyweight championship from ibushi at dominion okada comes out and challenges him but also naito comes out and challenges him and jay white maybe comes out and challenges him and everyone and omega can go you guys have that little tournament you love to have i'll go away and and 
do what I like with this heavyweight title. And Ibushi stays, but he's got the Intercontinental title. Because I don't want Omega to win it. That would be the moment where you split away the heavyweight title from the Intercontinental title. So that means the Intercontinental title stays as a key title within New Japan that they can have defended in the big shows that Omega can't necessarily make. You could have him do a rematch with Ibushi, maybe. And then New Japan... And then Omega comes the next night out on Impact Wrestling... He's got the IWGP heavyweight title. He's got the AEW heavyweight title. He's got the uh, AAAR mega heavyweight title. He's got the NWA world's heavyweight title. He's got the Impact world title. He holds five belts. He says, there is no one that can step to me. I am the biggest name in wrestling. There is no bigger icon now than Kenny Omega. CM Punk comes out for the first time on AEW TV. And he says, I've needed a good reason to come back to pro wrestling. (laughs) Seeing you holding all those belts looks like a good reason for me. How about you defend the title against me at the next AEW pay-per-view? Which just happens to be booked in a big stadium. Go back to Daly's Place or Jacksonville or whatever. Omega says, no, you have nothing that I need. You're a long-retired guy who has a losing record in MMA. What do you have for me? You have nothing. Go away. Go away, old man. CM Punk goes away. You don't come back. When you next see him is when the Ring of Honor world champion makes an open challenge at his next big show. And... And CM Punk turns up and says, You know, I haven't wrestled in a long while, and it's been a while since I've been in a place that loves wrestling. And also, I have some guy who says I have nothing to offer him. I need some chips to cash in on him. Impromptu challenge. They wrestle for the Ring of Honor world title. And CM Punk's able to knock off some of the rust, whether it's against Roosh or I'm not sure who the Ring of Honor champion will be at that point. So like I said, this is ridiculous pie-in-the-sky fantasy sort of thing. And CM Punk wins the Ring of Honor World Championship in a shock, and it's his first match back. That's the only way I think you can convince Ring of Honor to do this, because they say, we will give you the first ever CM Punk singles match in seven years, or eight years. And so CM Punk's able to turn up at another episode of AEW Dynamite in the future, and he says, you know, there's another belt you don't have yet. And that's the match that they book as the main event for the big AEW show in a stadium in Jacksonville or wherever. 60,000 unification match because every other time Omega's defended every belt individually this time every single belt is on the line Omega is defending all five of his championship belts and CM Punk is defending his Ring of Honor World Championship belts if you want to be super smart arsey about it you could have Omega maybe fail to have won one of the championship belts so maybe he doesn't win the NWA world title for whatever kind of hooky decision and CM Punk's able to win that so then you got CM Punk coming in with two belts to Omega's four belts. This is like when boxers negotiate. It's like well what what, what where's the pay-per-view pay? They have the big pay-per-view event in a stadium you have a triple A R match you have a New Japan match you have a Ring of Honor match you have an NWA match you have a You have a few AEW matches. You have some interpromotional stuff within it, but it's also a showcase. Have it be a big, like, five, six-hour show. I don't care. Whatever the fuck. Like those old Joshi shows they were having in Japan back in the mid-90s with, like, 13 different promotions. Omega wins after a mega epic match. And then he's like, 
I've done everything. There's no one left to challenge me. And maybe at that point, I don't know how the calendars work. Maybe at that point, he could drop the IWGP heavyweight title to Okada because there's only so long he can hold on to it or whatever. But he has so many belts with him. And he says, that's it. And no one can step up to me. And like I said, the whole storyline underneath has been the Bullet Club trying to get Hangman Page to rejoin them. Says, you've learned your lesson. You're back with the club. You're back with the elites. Come with us. Maybe Cody's joined at that point and Cody can be like the guy that Hangman Page has to overcome. And Hangman finally does get past everyone and he's the one standing in front of Kenny Omega and Kenny Omega puts every belt on the line against Hangman at this point. Hangman, finally, another epic pay-per-view match. By the way, what I'd also do if CM Punk's still around, I would then program him with John Moxley where John Moxley says, you screwed up, you betrayed everyone, and we get the dream CM Punk, John Moxley. John Moxley sort of turns heel, but doesn't turn heel, mm. and they can just do sort of their version of the Eddie Kingston, John Moxley feud that we had before. Maybe even bring Eddie Kingston into it. Maybe even bring Colt Banner into it, if if Punk's willing to let bygones be bygones. <laughs> yeah. Then we have the big match. Hangman Page wins it and wins every belt. And then the rest of that year is Hangman gradually losing each belt to the promotions, but being an honourable fighting champion, but it all comes too much for him. Have Omega definitely go and try and win back the IWGP heavyweight title if Hangman Page is the one that loses the belt, and then you can get Okada getting his big win over Omega then. And then then you can have Page loses gradually every belt except for the AEW world title. Then you can have Kenny Omega come back at him and say, I want my rematch now. Because it's all, you know, the weakened, honourable, but has lost it all through honourable means, Hangman Page. And he manages to beat Kenny Omega again. And so that really solidifies him. Okay, he's because he's going to look bad, Hangman Page losing every belt in theory that Kenny Omega won. Yeah. Even though he beat the guy that beat the guys. But like I said, if you can play it as that it's a tough challenge for him and he didn't use nefarious means like Omega... And it's just gradual wear and tear. And every other promotion gets to look good because their guy beats Hangman Page squeaky clean. And maybe you can have Omega trying to chase them all around and not quite managing it with each of these guys. and get Because that's the thing. Omega getting all these wins, he's going to owe a lot of jobs at this point as well. So you sort of have their boat. You'd have to have Omega. You've got to book the fall as well as the rise. that's why I'm saying something like this couldn't happen because the politics is so labyrinthine and so many layers to it that there's just going to be one promotion that will say that doesn't work for us and then it falls apart that's why my ultimate fantasy one has Ring of Honor and back when Marty Skrull was still involved when I first thought of this I thought you could do it that way but now I don't know that there's anything that Ring of Honor could really think that would help them other than offering them the first CM Punk match. Yeah. That's the only thing I think you can get them interested. And that's how I would book it. And then I'd have him lose the belt to MJF through uh, nefarious means. And there's your next big feud. Because that's what I've always said. I think that AEW's goal has always been for a pay-per-view to be headlined by MJF versus Hangman Page. Or MJF versus Jungle Boy. Or, or those sort of guys. Mm. Definitely they should have programmed Jungle Boy against Kenny Omega during his world title run at some point. You have to do that. But that's my dream scenario. But about this match, I don't really like. I said, there's not much a lot to say because it isn't. There isn't a clear story other than this is a huge match for Phoenix. He wants to win the big title. He's throwing everything at Omega, and Omega throws everything at Phoenix. And in the end, that's enough for Omega to win it. Thanks a little bit oh. to a slight distraction from Don Callis, and that's why I couldn't give this match five stars personally. 
There's little moments. There's one really awkward moment where... Well, there's two really awkward moments. There's one where Phoenix sort of seems to saunter towards Kenny Omega at one point, and Omega hits him with a back elbow. It's like he saw that Omega wasn't quite in place, so he couldn't sprint at him with his usual pace. And there's also that moment where it's like a, a spin into nothing from the top rope. And Omega can't even reach him to hit the knee that mm. wouldn't even make sense as a counter anyway because um, Phoenix was clearly never going anywhere towards him. So there's some little moments like that that are a bit awkward. So for me personally, I would give the match somewhere around four to four and a quarter. I, I'll say four and a quarter. I'll be nice. Okay. I'm trying to like keep the rose tint out of this. I would say broadly the same in terms of star rating. I think a bit more length would have done it good. But obviously... It doesn't make sense. I don't know. I quite like the sprint element to it. And you got to remember, it's a TV show as well, and they were working within a certain confines. And it doesn't make sense for Phoenix to work a thirty-five minute match. It goes seventeen. Yeah. Which back in the day was just your standard WWF WCW pay per view main event length. Really. Christ, we have been spoiled. They never really went over twenty-five minutes. But I think um, I think broadly, it's very very good. But it's just not quite five star. Yeah. Yeah. That has been the first week of January, and we thought. Well, there's a decent chance in the time it takes for all these episodes to come out that whilst we'd love you to listen to the Sting and Lex Luger versus the Steiner Brothers match <laughs> of the week. You'll get it one day. <laughs> <laughs> but instead, there has been another match since then that Dave Meltzer gave five stars, and that's going to be our episode next week. So, so what are we going to be talking about next week? Another five-star match. Match number six of the 2021 to get five stars or higher. We are talking about the never open weight title defense of Shingo Takagi against Hiroshi Tanahashi. Takagi in his second five star match in less than two months in 2021. 25 days. 25 days. He had two five star matches within the first month of 2021. So this year could be the year of Takagi. We, We will have to see. But anyway, if people want to get in touch with you, Simon, how can they do so? With their own fancy booking scenarios that everyone loves listening to. Almost as much as they love listening to what happened to someone in their dream they had last night. (laughs) (laughs) They can get in touch with me on Twitter where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of A's in triple R. My name's Lorcan Munn and that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for sleep apnea, N for narcolepsy. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterbox. If you put an at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYSpod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. And you can put some money towards our projects. Maybe allow me some more time that I can spend in my non-working hours dreaming up booking scenarios for you all to froth your mouth at and in no way go, what a bunch of nonsense, ludicrous bullshit that was. <laughs> By going to patreon.com slash lmtys pod but there's nothing left to say at this point except that my name's Lorcan Mullen and my name's Simon Cross thank you for letting us tell you something have a five star time until the next time
don't 